This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Today on the Everything 80s podcast, we're looking at 10 sequels to 1980s movies you probably didn't know existed. Hey there, what's happening? Welcome back to the Everything 80s Podcast. I'm Jamie. Thanks for coming on out today. For every classic 80s movie, we got the odd follow-up that was just as good as the first. But this wasn't always the case. There are several 1980s movie sequels that were so terrible, you probably never heard of them, and others you wish you hadn't. And that's what we're going to look at today. Before we start... If you haven't already, make sure you subscribe wherever you find your podcast. I should be there. Okay, here we go. So obviously, the 80s are a golden age of movies, and some led to some truly incredible sequels. You know, some that come to mind are Back to the Future 2, Ghostbusters 2, The Empire Strikes Back, Beverly Hills Cop 2. We could go on and on, but that, that's a, a quick sampling. But they're not all winners. As great as a lot of these classic films were... They always didn't lend themselves that well to a sequel or even a trilogy. So what we're going to do is look back on some 80s movie sequels you might not have ever heard of. In some cases, they had made a third or fourth version as another attempt to make up for the crappy sequel. So those are on this list too. The thing is, if you didn't get things correct in a sequel, there wasn't a good chance the other follow-ups would be any good either. By that point, most people involved with the first movie were long gone. So a few criteria here when I'm making this list. I'm trying to include some very obscure ones that you um, and I hadn't even heard of uh, till I looked into this more. But I'll still include a few that you're probably familiar with because they were so horrendous they need mentioning. The other thing is I won't limit it to movie sequels that came out in the 80s. The original movie must have been released in the 80s around that time period, but the follow-ups, whether it's a sequel or a third version or whatnot, could come out in the following decade. So there's a few rules, I guess, to this whole thing. Okay, here we go. Number 10, The Next Karate Kid. So the first Karate Kid is, of course, an 80s classic. This movie is so good, it became a part of the fabric of the 80s and really a cultural touching point. Just think of Wax On, Wax Off is as well known as any line in movie history. It had everything that made an 80s movie great, you know, montages, action, and a David and Goliath type story. The follow-ups didn't quite match that. The next Karate Kid is not a sequel or even a third installment, but the fourth movie in this franchise. This came out in 1994 and starred a young Hilary Swank. The premise of the next Karate Kid is when Mr. Miyagi meets the granddaughter of some friends. She has lost her parents in a car accident, and Mr. Miyagi invites her to stay with him for some peace and quiet. Mr. Miyagi finds out that she has some martial arts ability, and it turns out she was trained by her father, who was a student of Miyagi. This feels a 
bit like the premise of uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. She does have some anger issues, but Mr. Miyagi helps her to learn to control it. She ends up fighting the school bully, and Mr. Miyagi also jumps in at the end to help just kick ass and do that whole thing. The movie got critically destroyed. Uh, This is going to be an obvious theme running through this whole podcast. And it was considered the least successful of the franchise. The other Karate Kid movies made in the ballpark of around $100 million. This one only made around nine. Hilary Swank is good, but it's clear that this movie was unnecessary and the franchise was pretty much dead until the whole Cobra Kai came along. But in 1994, it looked like that was the end of the Karate Kid. Okay, number nine, Teen Wolf 2. And remember, that's two spelled T-O-O. They didn't use the number two, but the word two, meaning someone else is a teen wolf. Get it? So that's <laughs> when you have the wacky play on words, that's usually a red flag. Uh, but Teen Wolf 2 was the follow-up to the very popular Teen Wolf starring 80s icon, of course, Michael J. Fox. But he is nowhere to be seen in this version. And instead, we get a young Michael Bluth, a.k.a. Jason Bateman, taking on the title role. Bateman plays Todd, who's not really into sports but wants to be a veterinarian. But it turns out he is the cousin of Scott Howard. That's Michael J. Fox from the first one. And the basketball coach at the school hopes that Todd has the same werewolf genes as Scott, which somehow makes you a good athlete. Todd has the gene, but goes the boxing route instead and goes um, to fight humans and fight his opponents and takes on the way it's, I don't know. You have to see this movie <laughs> it turns out there's a lady teen wolf as well too. So like, it's not sure who's animals, who's werewolves, who's people. Her name's Tanya and she helps give Todd the motivation to win his fight um, th- this movie sucks, obviously. The original is far from the best movie ever, but it, it holds its own in the 80s teen comedy genre. This obviously does not. But don't take <laughs> my word for it. Just listen to some of the things that Jason Bateman had to say in an interview with Howard Stern on YouTube. He said... If you want to see more about this, I've got the show notes for this episode, which I'll link in the description. If you want to see uh, movie trailers uh, for all these things, uh, I got a link to this clip. But here's some of the stuff Jason Bateman said about the movie. The movie, he said, if he had proper management, he never would have made it. His dad was a producer trying to get a quick box office hit so they could make some more highbrow movies. That was like the intent behind this. He says that Teen Wolf 2 didn't totally kill his career at the time, but it didn't help. And there were so many things that made it absolute crap. (laughs) So Teen Wolf 2 came out on November 20th, 1987, and was, of course, crushed by critics. Roger Ebert called it one of the worst films of the year, and it ended up making only around $8 million. It has a 7% rating on Rotten Tomatoes, and only two actors from the original showed up to make this one. Okay, number eight, the never-ending story to the next chapter. So the never-ending story could possibly be the best kids' fantasy film of the 80s. I can't think of too many other movies that had such an impact on me and sparked what your imagination really is capable of. The never-ending story had some very profound moments in it. I mean, just don't picture the horse scene if you're thinking about this right now. It had incredible characters and it has one of the best endings ever with all the bullies getting what they deserved. 
It's also got an iconic theme song, which might be in your head. In the sequel version, Bastion and Atreyu are back in Fantasia and come across an evil sorceress. She's trying to take over the kingdom, but the two are able to capture her while they seek out the child empress. Sorceress is leading them on a wild goose chase, and spoiler alert, Atreyu ends up dying. Um, the sorceress ends up dying as well, and then Bastion is able to go home in the end again. So the original movie is based on a book by Michael Ende, but they only covered about half of that in the film. The producer had intended for this to be a trilogy, but legal problems started coming out of nowhere when they were least expecting it. Ende wanted more of a say in how things were to be made, and it just really threw everything off track. So the budget was dropped, there were fewer sets for the sequel, and the shooting had to be completely rushed. Everything was hurried so fast, and it is so apparent in this movie. Add to this that no one from the first film signed on for this, and only one actor from the original appeared in the sequel. A big problem, as most critics noted, was that the effects were so bad, they just became distracting. The characters were bad, the movie felt disjointed, and mainly, they just couldn't capture the magic of the first one. Sometimes you just, you know, you need to leave well enough alone. Okay, number seven, we're back to the Karate Kid. It's the Karate Kid Part 3. So, I'm betting you haven't seen or heard of this one either. The Karate Kid Part 2 is a decent enough movie sequel, but they ended up going to the well one too many times with this third installment. And this, of course, wouldn't be the end of it, as you know. The Karate Kid Part 3 is not as bad as the next Karate Kid, but that's not exactly saying much. This came out in 1989, and it still has Ralph Macchio playing the role of Daniel. The same director and writer of the first two were also on board, so it seems like everything should have been smooth sailing. But it wasn't. The plot is based around the return of John Kreese and his best friend who's trying to get revenge on Daniel and Mr. Miyagi. We see Daniel get the crap kicked out of him again and Mr. Miyagi interviewing uh, because the old, the old dog still got it, apparently. Um, it's all, it all results in another tournament where Daniel loses in the final. Of course he doesn't. He obviously wins. <laughs> so this one is weird because Ralph Macchio was 27 at the time filming this, but playing an 18-year-old. So his love interest in the movie was played by 16-year-old Robin Lively. So any love scenes obviously couldn't happen. This very terrible casting decision made for a whole different dynamic in the movie. And the rehash plotline just felt like another go-around go of the previous iterations. Whereas the first two movies were big money makers, this one dropped big time, making only $39 million. It can't get worse than that for a Karate Kid movie, but, you know, it did. And it was, at the time, considered one of the worst movies of 1989. It was nominated for five Golden Raspberry Awards. Years later, the director of the movie would call it horrible and a poor imitation of the first one. So, not exactly the ringing endorsement you're looking for. Okay, number six, The Fly 2. Yeah, this is one of those movies I never knew existed. The Fly, the original, is an awesome uh, movie and an amazing science fiction film and a great role played by Jeff Goldblum. Uh, this one came out in 1986 and is based on an earlier version from 1958 with Vincent Price. The Fly 2 now came out in 1989. And no one from the first, except for one actor, was on board for this movie sequel. And again, usually your number one red flag for uh, a sequel to a movie. 
The plot of this involves the son of Goldblum's character from the first film who inherits similar abilities. He eventually learns of the fate of his father while he himself also transforms into a fly um, until the effects end up being reversed. So there are a few things with this movie. The first is that it just didn't make much of a cultural impact in the way the predecessor did. The other is that it's just a rehash of the original, but manages to be boring and uninspired somehow. Critic Critic Leonard Maltin gave The Fly 2 his lowest rating. The first fly is so much more creative, and it's got that... T- I don't know if you've seen this movie in a while, but the, the premise is actually terrifying, and the sequel just kind of went about being more about gross-out entertainment. What makes this movie interesting is the two main cast members. The first is Eric Stoltz. And if you've listened to my shows or this podcast in general, you would know him as the very first Marty McFly in Back to the Future when Michael J. Fox was originally not available for it. Stoltz had actually filmed the majority of Back to the Future before the directors realized he wasn't working out. And then Michael J. Fox became available. You have to go back and listen to earlier episodes I've done about Back to the Future. It also stars Daphne Zuniga, who played Princess Vespa in Spaceballs. And I just did an episode all about that not too long ago. She was able to get this role because of recommendations from Mel Brooks. And she at first didn't even want to be involved in Spaceballs because she wasn't a fan of Mel Brooks's humor and then eventually warmed up to him. And that got her this role, which ended up not being a good thing. Let's take a journey back to 2003. Canadian teen sensation Avril Lavigne was topping the charts and turning the music industry upside down. But what if I told you that the Avril Lavigne we know and love might not be the same Avril? What? Did Avril die? Was she replaced by a doppelganger? I'm Joanne McNally and I'm doing a deep dive into a notorious internet conspiracy. Who replaced Avril Lavigne? Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, number five, Rambo 3. So Rambo is awesome. The confusingly named Rambo First Blood Part 2 is also pretty awesome. Rambo 3, not so much. This is another movie sequel that is not only bad, but you've probably never heard of. This time around, we're set in the Soviet-Afghan War, but it it's depicting fictional events. Rambo is setting out on a dangerous journey to Afghanistan, Afghanistan to rescue back his old uh, commander who had been captured by a Soviet army colonel. So this movie is interesting. It, it's on this list because it's a sequel you may not have been aware of, um, but it's just it's it should have been good. Everything was there to make it awesome. Um, it should have transitioned very well from Rambo two, but it's. I don't know what happened and that's it's surprising like most people didn't hear about it when it either just wasn't promoted as well as it should have been or it just came out at the wrong time but it's funny how many people don't know this movie so because of all this or because of the bad marketing or promotion or whatever it was um just you know obviously not received well by critics but it got enough of a bit of a word of mouth after it's a poor opening because of not being again not being promoted and whatever but eventually it actually started making money which is really weird so out of all of these movies it probably made the most while being uh, critically despised it, it's got a 38 percent score on rotten tomatoes it got the classic thumbs down from siskel and ebert ebert um rambo is obviously all about violence but 
I think that's what the problem was. It became too much of the focal point of this movie. It actually won a Guinness Book of World Records award for the most violent movie ever made. It had 221 acts of violence with over 100 people being killed. And I think that's what happened as I was looking back into this. Like, you know, no one knew about it. It, it didn't open well. Um, I, and I think... Th- the people who did hear about it were turned away because it was supposed to be that violent. And I think that's actually what saved it overall as uh, this is in the time where, where movies could stay in the theaters longer and they give it a chance these days, you know, if a movie isn't doing well after two weeks, that's it. And without a lot of competition, I think word of mouth sort of spread about like for people who really love violent, gory movies. I think that's what eventually brought in the audience. And it's shocking, but when it came out in 1989, at the end of its run, it made $189 million. It was also at the time the most expensive movie ever made, which is, again, shocking. But they were sort of planning around this being, um, you know, one of the biggest money makers of all time. It wasn't, but it still did okay. So ultimately, it could have been a massive disaster. But that's what makes this one interesting for a list like this. Uh, it's just... Most people don't know it. It's a critical failure, but it made money. So just a bizarre sort of combination of things. Okay, number four, Short Circuit 2. And this is another weird one for me. I know I've seen Short Circuit 2, but I couldn't tell you anything about it. Whereas I could probably recite every line from the original. Short Short Circuit 2 came out in 1988, and it tried to capitalize on the success of the original. The first Short Circuit wasn't exactly an Oscar winner, but most everyone loved it. And I think it's... I don't know too many people who haven't seen Short Circuit, and it did pretty well at the box office. This time around, we don't have Ali Sheedy or Steve Gutenberg, but we do have Fisher Stevens reprising the disastrous um, role of making a white actor appear Indian in the movie. Um, Going back, it's a little problematic. Short Circuit 2 came out in 1988 and revolves around toy versions of Number Johnny 5 being manufactured. It also involves crooks trying to take over the deal, and the real Johnny Five helps to prevent the whole debacle. Johnny also ends up being damaged and repaired with some nice uh, product placement of the now-defunct Radio Shack. This movie ends with Johnny Five becoming an official U.S. citizen, and that's pretty much all you need to know about this film. This is another example of a movie sequel that you probably didn't know about, but one that wasn't a total failure. Like, um, not as good as Rainbow 3, but not a flop in the sense that it made around $21 million on a budget of $15 million. So no one lost their shirt on this thing. It's just one of those movies that seemed to pass people by, which is surprising based on how well-known the original was. Some other fun facts were that it was filmed um, near where I live in Toronto, and that doubled as New York City, which is often done for um, movie shoots. They used five different Johnny Fives, which is either smart or confusing, and it was filmed in less than two months, another giant red flag for a movie. So again, it was far from a critical hit, but maybe would have gone or would have had more success if they'd gone with the original title, which was going to be called Short Circuit 2, More Input, which I think is pretty sweet. Okay, number three, Grease 2. The amazing thing with Grease 2 is not just how bad it is, but how few people have ever seen this thing. I mean, 
everyone knows Greece. You know all the songs. You can probably sing along to all the songs. You know all the lines, but no one has seen Greece too, unless you're a super fan. This is pretty remarkable as the follow-up to the iconic original should have been an absolute juggernaut hit. Again, the original Grease was one of the best movie musicals ever made and, again, has all those culturally significant scenes, lines, songs, big moments. Grease 2 had none of that. Grease 2 is originally entitled More Grease and was also based on a Broadway play. For the movie version, they were able to bring back the director and choreographer of the first film, That's but that's pretty much all they brought back. This time around, we get an introduction to the then-unknown Michelle Pfeiffer, and the movie takes place back at Rydell High two years after the events of the first movie. We also get a reverse of the premise from the first movie, where the guy is the goody two-shoes and the girl is the badass. A big problem is that the original composers had nothing to do with this one, so there was really little chance at creating or recreating an iconic soundtrack uh, like the one featured in the original Grease I think if John Travolta and Olivia Newton-John were back as Danny and Sandy, this movie would have been massive, even if the music was really underwhelming. But at that point, you know, they were graduated from high school and they were probably both like 40 years old in real life. But, you know, they weren't available. They weren't connected to anything in any way. And then the movie was completely panned by critics when it came out in 1982. It has a 38% rating on Rotten Tomatoes, which doesn't help either. With the first Grease, we were more accepting of the fact that it was just this musical mayhem and that characters would burst in the song at any point. In Grease 2, it just didn't come across as well with the um, bursting into music. And I think, again, it comes down to the music being just substandard and not even coming close to matching the original. The best way to look at this is with what Roger Ebert said about it. And it's, you know, just trying to recycle the original, but it didn't have the stars in it to do it. The movie didn't lose money, but in its defense, it did open on one of the biggest weekends in movie history. So it finished fifth behind E.T., Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, Rocky III, and Poltergeist. So if it had been another weekend, who's telling, uh, who, who's to tell what might have happened with this movie? But I think people would have come out very underwhelmed, and that would have got passed around pretty quickly. Okay, we're into the top two. <laughs> the second worst 80 sequel, Crocodile Dundee in Los Angeles. The first Crocodile Dundee is a monster hit. And to me, it's... I, I've done a whole other episode about the my rankings of the top 20 movies of the 80s. And I have it in there. I think it's that good. It's a classic fish out of water story and Paul Hogan carried this movie while becoming a giant star in the first place and it I don't know this movie was a big deal to me as a kid I know every line of it I've seen it a ton of times and the same thing I'm positive I saw Crocodile Dundee in Los Angeles but I don't remember anything about it it made no impression on me whatsoever and again keep in mind this is technically Crocodile Dundee 3. Crocodile Dundee 2 was a pretty decent movie sequel, if you remember that one. It came out in 1988. It didn't make as much as the first Crocodile Dundee, but it still pulled in a massive $240 million, which was amazing. And it was made on a budget of just $15 million. 
The third one, however, didn't come out until 2001, 13 years after the sequel. It generated some interest, but not enough to the point um, that it became well-known. And you probably maybe didn't even hear about this movie or never even knew about it till right now. So it's obviously based in Los Angeles. And both Hogan and Linda Kozlowski, I can never say that right, who I always thought was Sharon Stone when I was younger, they're both in it. So you think the nostalgia factor would have worked in its favor, but it didn't exactly do that. I think it might have needed another 10 years past that, and then there would have been more interest in it. I don't think enough time had gone by. I think there's always this like 20-year gap, which is ideal for movies to come back and kind of pull at the heartstrings of people. This is a movie sequel that was seen as unnecessary, and that's reflected in the critical response to it. It has an 11% rating on Rotten Tomatoes and just didn't have the charm and novelty of the first two. It did okay-ish, though, at the box office, bringing in $40 million, but it's obvious that at this point they had gone to the well once too often. One interesting thing is that it was thought that a large, this is weird, a lar- they thought a large percentage of the tickets bought were actually by younger kids who were using them to sneak into Tom Green's Freddy Got Fingered. Green states that the attendance figures to his movie looked really good, but the box office receipts weren't matching it, and it was thought this was the reason why. The R rating of Freddy Got Fingered prevented kids from buying tickets, but those kids just went and bought tickets to Crocodile Dundee in Los Angeles and snuck into Freddy Got Fingered. So, interesting side note there. Okay, and we're at number one of the worst sequels of 1980s movies, and I've talked about this one before. It's Christmas Vacation 2, Cousin Eddie's Island Adventure. And this this one takes the cake for this entire category. I'm pretty positive you didn't know this thing existed unless you listened to my show and have caught every episode where I may be mentioned, but there's a good reason you probably didn't hear of it till you've heard it mentioned here. If you look at the title, it seems like it could be the greatest thing ever as it follows up to the iconic National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, but it is not. It is the perfect combination of a movie sequel you've probably never heard of and one that is a complete train wreck. So let me get you up to speed. The first reason you didn't see it in the theater is because it was never released in theaters. Instead, it was aired on TV in 2003, which is even worse than going straight to video. The premise of Christmas Vacation 2 is also ridiculous, as you can just see in the title of it. So Cousin Eddie and Catherine are back, and we find out Eddie works at a nuclear power plant, a la Homer Simpson, where one day we find out he's outworked by a trained monkey. Eddie is fired, but his boss is worried he will sue as it's so close to Christmas. Eddie's boss gives him a tropical vacation to the South Pacific where the family ends ends up getting shipwrecked. This gives Eddie the opportunity to show he can provide for his family and give them a good Christmas. It is baffling to me that this thing exists and it's so bad it it possibly takes away from the original movie which seems impossible to do but just associating this thing with christmas vacation even though randy quaid is in it as eddie it just is still an atrocity national lampoon's christmas vacation to cousin eddie's island adventure that's the actual full name of this thing came out on december 20th 2003 on nbc If they had even done a close attempt at recreating the original and just not having it set on a tropical island, this could have been a massive TV event, even if Chevy Chase wasn't in it. 
This thing is like watching a cartoon and some call it the worst movie they've ever seen. The fact that, again, that it actually exists surprises most people, especially fans of the original Christmas Vacation, but it is just a disaster in every way possible. So we'll start winding it down here. That's my list of the top 10 80s movie sequels you probably didn't know existed. Like I mentioned, it's not about it's not all about these things being the worst thing ever put on film um, or in Christmas Vacation 2's case uh, TV, but it's just the shock that these things ever existed. The originals of all these are absolute 80s classics with their follow-ups leaving much to be desired. I guess what's good in this situation is that it does make you appreciate the originals for how great they really were, even if you never saw the sequel and it snuck into Freddy Got Fingered, which I think is just hilarious. So I'll finish there, and as I wind down, I want to give a shout-out to the Patreon of the week, Craig. Thanks for all the support. And I'll just finish with what Patreon is, if you haven't heard about this before. So as an independent podcaster, it's a bit tough to stand out in the podcast realm these days. As good as it is and as good as this whole platform has grown, it's it's being taken over by, you know, bigger companies and celebrities and huge podcast networks. So what Patreon.com is, is a way to support a show like this and then get some free audio bonuses while doing so. So there's different tiers and it starts as, you know, as little as a few bucks a month. And then with the different tiers come the different rewards. So like at the Boba Fett level, that gives you access to the Everything 80s Movies Movie Club, where I review the good, the bad, and the ugly of 80s movies. And then at um, different tiers, there's uh, where you get, you know, shout outs on the podcast and the ability to suggest and recommend topics for the podcast. So if you want to see some more, you can just go to patreon.com slash 80s. So P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash eight zero S or whatever you're listening to this on, wherever the show notes are or the description of this episode, there'll be a link that can take you right there just if you want to see more. But that's it for me. Thanks for taking the time to listen to this podcast. I will be back soon with a new episode. Don't you dare miss it.